Just in prayer in God's spirit, just overwhelmed by his love. It was funny because I don't know if Donald is here, but Donald is a, a college student. And so I asked Donald if he would actually lead worship, and he leads worship in university. So he was leading worship with us. You know, I'm just like response song after the message, and we're good, right? So like, you know, like after two hours, Donald's like worshiping, and youth are crying and praying for each other, and we see the activity of God's spirit. And I'm just moved in my heart, because I picked up my guitar and started singing with Donald, because I was so moved. And I turned to Donald, and Donald goes, how long? Do I have to keep worshiping? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, Donald. I didn't know this was going to happen. It just kind of happened, you know? You just got to go with it. How about two more songs? Three more songs? Two more songs. And so Donald, actually, Donald was just fantastic. He was a fantastic worship leader. Um, okay, and this kind of continued. Now, let me just tell you why this is so important. I would say that the reason I'm here as a pastor today is because in the past, I had experiences like that with God that were so deep, you know? I mean, you, you can say, oh, I know God loves me. But when you experience God's love, it's a whole new thing. And, and you don't want youth to grow up just like, oh, I just know God loves me in my head, right? But when they know God loves them, man, that, watch out. That will change a person's life and set them on fire. That's what happened to me. And the whole course of my life was different because I experienced God's love. And very, very important for them for two hours just being like, God, you love me? This One kid said to me, and now he's ready for baptism, actually. He said, before he wasn't, he said to me, I had no idea that God would love me when I am just so, I got all this messed up junk in my life. I can't believe God would love me so much. But, but I, I want to share with you, honestly, and, and, and uh, this is a little bit on the embarrassing side, so this is just me being kind of vulnerable. I, when I came home, you know, I was just kind of sharing with Raina that I actually had some mixed feelings from the weekend. And you're like, you want to know, okay, this is, again, me being honest, you want to know why I had some mixed feelings about the weekend? I didn't feel very good about my Friday night talk. You know, I mean... I, 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 I was like, you know, I was, I was sharing some of my best stories, you know? Yeah, I recycle, I do. I'm big, you know, love the world, I recycle. Um, and, it, it, you know, there was one of them that fell asleep. I'm like, this is my best stuff, right? What are you doing sleeping? I wanted to slap this, you know. I did, though. I did, right? And so I was just like, you know, sometimes when I'm here, I just, I just feel on. I feel like the spirit is here. And uh, last night, uh, Friday night, I just, I just I kind of felt off. And so, <laughs> so this weekend, incredible things happen. All this fruit, and I'm feeling kind of bad because I didn't feel like I did so good. Now, it was weird because uh, we had the summer interns, Jordan, and I was saying, this happens a lot. Sometimes I feel like I am on. And I see God doing stuff, and it is awesome. And I actually tell people, that's the kind of ministry that you should pursue. But then I also said, there's sometimes where I just feel off, but God is doing this incredible stuff. And so I look back at this weekend, I'm like, I was off, God was on. No one after the youth retreat was like, 
that Pastor Andrew is so incredible. You know, what a great speaker he is, you know. We are so lucky as a church mom and dad to have Pastor. No one was saying that. But I bet you, you know what they were saying? They were saying, God is awesome. God is incredible. Now, that kind of ministry is exactly the ministry that we should be pursuing. You do something for God, and no one's talking about how great you are. They're just like, wow, God. Uh, Today's message is for anyone here in this room who feels weak. Anyone here in this room who feels flawed. You ever feel like you're so flawed sometimes that God can never use you? I, 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 I have so much to learn and grow that God can never really fully use me powerfully as a parent. Maybe, maybe they can learn from like Lily, but not, not me. I got issues, right? Anyone here feel like in, in college we had this code word for someone that just was not all together and we would say they have issues. Do you guys still use that? Do you guys still use that? You do. I got issues. I got issues God couldn't use me. I feel small, I feel weak, I feel flawed, I'm going back to the same sins. I haven't changed. I'm not really the man that I think I I feel that I should be for God. I don't think God can use me. And I'll tell you, there is good news for small people. If anyone here in this room feels small, there is good news. And the good news of the gospel is that God loves to use small ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. In fact, I would say that he prefers it. Okay, let me give you an example. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 10. Okay, Uh, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to go to the surrounding villages and tell them, I'm I'm, uh, uh, paraphrasing, but basically tell them, The king has come. The Messiah is here. Get ready. All right? Now, who can tell me some information about these 72? Probably the apostles were part of the 72. But what else can you tell me? You can't tell me that much, you know? So my first point is, maybe there really wasn't anything very special about them that was noteworthy of telling them something special. But, I, but there is a part where Jesus actually describes them. Listen to this. This is actually in verse 21. Not wise, not understanding, and like little children. <laughs> That's how he described the 72. Not very impressive. Kind of weak. Ordinary people. Now what happens is are these 72 small, ordinary people, they come back and they are just so excited. And you know who the first cheerleader is? Jesus Christ. Now I know this because of what he says. Pay attention to this. I thank you, Father, verse 21, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, i.e., they're not wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious 
will. Can I not say from these verses that God prefers to use small people? No, don't get me wrong. There's some very talented people here. And God wants to use you in your area of talent. Just like for me, sometimes when I feel like I'm on and God's on, it's awesome. But can I dare say that there's a better ministry? (laughs) Where you're off and God is on and nobody's talking about you, but all they can talk about is God. I don't know. But the Bible seems to make a pretty strong case for that. And who's the first cheerleader? Jesus is really excited. I am really excited that God is using small, ordinary people to do the extraordinary work. Why does God prefer to use small, ordinary people? You ever ever think about that? Why? You can do a lot more with the gifted. They can go a lot further. Why would you prefer and be really, really happy when ordinary people are doing this amazing work? You know, I think the Apostle Paul drops us more than some hints. I think he actually explains why. So turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, by the way, we're in this series about how Jesus Christ has made this incredible impact in human history. Okay, So how this fits into the big picture is that Jesus Christ prefers to use weak and ordinary people, okay? And there's tons and tons of stories throughout history, and I'll go through some of them, where it's almost like Jesus prefers the weak and the ordinary to do his amazing work, okay? Okay, but let's go, and let's try to explain why, okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure... The treasure of the gospel, the treasure of God's power, the reality of God in, can you say the next three words with me, jars of clay, okay, jars of clay, a jar of clay is inexpensive, actually it's kind of cheap, it's fragile, you can break it pretty easily, maybe there's already cracks in it because, uh, because of rough handling, but the treasure Oh, the treasure. The treasure is the the thing of ultimate lasting. It's the precious, but the container that's put in, not so precious, fragile, and weak, okay? And so this is the picture of the Christian. I'm a jar of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Uh, How many of you guys have seen a big uh, uh, Pixar fans here in this room? Raise your hands. Come on, you all are. Raise your hands. Come on, right? And, and one of their uh, movies that was really kind of groundbreaking because it used so few words, but it was just visually amazing, was WALL-E, right? Remember that scene? In, okay, people don't know the story. Uh, WALL-E is kind of like a post-apocalyptic. The world is covered with filth and garbage, right? And so WALL-E is this robot that's just stacking the garbage in boxes. And then he finds this box. Remember the scene? I've seen it a couple times. It makes a good connection. Finds this box, right? He opens up the box, and what's inside the box? A big fat diamond ring. Woo! Treasure, right? Now he picks up the ring, tosses it, and keeps the box, right? You, get, you remember that? Because he actually didn't know which was ultimately more valuable. He's like, woo, the box, right? And I remember that scene because it, it strikes you like, oh my gosh, he just tossed away <laughs> like a five-carat ring. What is, what is he doing, right? You're like the box. 
God's gospel, his spirit, his power is the diamond ring. Your life is about showcasing that diamond ring. All right, let me give you another illustration. Uh, for all the married people in this room, okay, the, the spouses, uh, uh, I'm sure they had bridesmaids, right? What color did you choose for your bridesmaids? Anyone choose, like, something bright and flamboyant? No. Every wedding you go to, it's like they're wearing the same dress, right? It's, it's like watercolory, light, pastel-y. I, I think it's kind of blah, honestly, right? It's kind of blah. It's blah, right? Now, I want you to imagine some, uh, some bride picking out, you know, the, the traditional blah kind of pastel-y color, right? And then the, 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 the bridesmaids are walking down, but there's one that didn't want to go that direction, and she wears, like, bright, flamboyant red, and she's doing the walk, right? You put her aside, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't do that. You don't, why? Because it's not your day. They pick the bright, pastel-y color because you're supposed to accentuate the bride, it's whatever looks best with white, right? That, that's how they pick the colors. What would look best with white, right? That, 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 that's it. Your life is an accessory. It's God's life that's the treasure. Oh, let me put it this way. Your, your life <clears throat> is supposed to be the accessory that showcases the surpassing beauty of the bride. Now, I'm going to unpack this more, okay? For those of you who are hungry for Scripture, I'm going to go more into Scripture, but I just want to nail the point, so just work with me here. I want to nail this point. Um, my point, again, is that God loves to use small and ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. And you go, why? And right, and right away, Paul gives us this image, this beautiful treasure in this jar of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God, not from you. And so let me put this in another way, okay? Now, can you guys look at me? This is one of those moments where I really want to challenge you with a question. Can all eyes looking at me? When God, I'm sorry, when people look at your life, can they see the surpassing power of God? Okay, and let me put it this way. We're called to live like this unexplainable life. Like people look at our lives and they go, something doesn't really match up, right? Because the stuff that's happening in your life cannot possibly be produced by you, Right? I mean, you have all the fingerprints of this amazing God working in your life. That's what our lives are supposed to be like. Do people look at your life and do they, they go, that's unexplainable. You've got to explain that to me. Or is it very explainable? Like, you know, actually, that makes sense. Because, you know, you, you seem like a good person. You do these good things. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Is your life explainable? Or do people look at your life and they go, whoa, you've got to explain that to me. Oh, it's not me. It's all God. It's all, it's totally God. Uh, okay, uh, just, just illustration, and then I want to, I want to get back to the text. Okay. Um, there are parts of my life that are unexplainable. One part is my marriage. Uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated my 10-year anniversary. 
you guys want to clap, you can. Thank you. I was asking for that one. But uh, I'll tell you what I did. I, I, um, <clears throat> I, I planned this half day. Oh, by the way, our former chairman of the board was watching my kids. That's what our church is like. It's great. Um, I planned this half day experience to be this trip down memory lane. And so we went back to the place where uh, we got married. We went back to the place where we had our wedding reception, our first dance. We actually went back to the place where I proposed. It was all in the same area. And then I reenacted the scene. Right? It's pretty good, huh? Yeah. Uh, And then during that prayer time, I said, God, my marriage has been awesome. But I know it's because of you. It's totally a God thing. Now, listen to me on this. Um, uh, Long story short, we dated for three and a half years because I had issues. I was screwed up. Just to give you a snapshot of it, Raina was going to see counseling because I was bringing up issues in her, right? And then the counselor's like, you know, I think it's better if I meet with both you and Andrew. Okay, so the next time met both with with both Raina and myself. And then for the next 10 sessions, it was just me and the counselor because he just wanted to meet with me because I think he identified the root cause of the problem. <laughs> they say that when you're dating, if you have issues, when you get married, they just get worse, okay? These issues were not resolved when I was actually engaged and headed towards marriage. They were not resolved. They weren't. Something happened on my wedding day. All these guests came. They brought these gifts. You know who came? The most honored guest was Jesus Christ. And he brought this gift. And I don't know what he did, but he reached inside my spirit and he took out that issue. I don't know where the issue went. To this day, I have no idea where those issues went. I'm not supposed to have a great marriage. I'm having a great marriage on grace. I know the grace of God. People will look at my marriage and be like, hey, it's not Andrew, okay? And it's not Raina. This is a God thing. Now, let me also say this. I shared this story. I know I shared this story maybe seven years ago. And you know what happened on that day that I shared the story? Raina's friends were there. And then they gave her like an earful afterwards. They said, that was so dishonoring how he shared that story. It made you guys look so bad, you know? It made you guys really look pathetic. And I was talking to Raina, and I was like, it, it does. The truth is, it's because I am pathetic. But you look at my marriage, and you look at my life, and you see the treasure that's in that jar of clay. No one's going to go, wow, you know, your marriage is wonderful because Andrew is such a wonderful man. No one's going to do that. I wasn't. I had issues. But God is a wonderful God. And so when people look at my marriage, if they don't go, wow, what a wonderful pastor, and they say, wow, the surpassing power of God is being seen in this jar of clay, I'm good with that. And if I flub up in a retreat, but God is doing great stuff, and no one's talking about Andrew, I'm good with that. Mostly. (laughs) Mostly good with that. I'm good with that. And when people look at your life, okay, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that point. Let's Let's continue on. We are afflicted in every way, 
but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You see what's happening here? There's all these pairs of of this phenomenon that happens to the Christian. It's, It's hard. We struggle, but we will never be defeated. You see that? You're going to get knocked down. Maybe I can say even a lot, but you'll never be knocked out. In fact, there are times where you feel like, man, I'm losing all these battles, but you will never lose the war. It's going to be hard, but you will never be defeated. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now listen, if you believe in Jesus, Paul is saying, look, there's two forces that are happening simultaneously, all at the same time. Death is at work inside you. Death is at work. Now, we can broaden this. I'm sure that Paul meant persecution. He was suffering a lot just for being a Christian. But I'm sure you can broaden this just to say death in general. Like disease. Like anyone who's feeling older in the recesses of their bones. Pain. Cancer. Flaws. But, but, but here's the thing. Life is also at work inside you. Not despite the death, but through the death, in the midst of death. And actually, that death that's going on inside you is the showcase for God's power to be made known, to glow. It kind of makes you look at your weakness differently, doesn't it? Now, now let's, let's continue. Let's continue. Um, let's continue with Paul. It kind of leads the question, like, what do we do with weakness? What do we do with the death that's working inside us? What do we do with the things that make us feel small, our flaws, our messed upness, our issues? What do we do with these things? How do we handle these things? Okay, now I want to say, I'm making a confession as an Asian American person that that, that in my culture, the way that you deal with these things is you cover up. You try to pretend that things are much better than they really are. I mean, there's things happening in our families, in our personal lives, and we're really ruined and we're a wreck, but here's the thing, don't show it. Put on a mask. Someone asks you if you're well, just say, I'm great. But, 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 but don't really just spill your guts and look weak and miserable and embarrassed and vulnerable. You gotta hide it. You gotta cover it up because it's all about... Saving face. Interesting. Let's look at how Paul handled weakness. Let's look at how Paul handled suffering. Okay, Uh, 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 chapter 12. We're going to go to verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me 
to keep me from becoming conceited. Uh, a thorn twisting in, what a great image. First we got the, like the jar of clay with the treasure inside. Now we got this thorn that's twisting in Paul's side. Who knows what that thorn is? Raise your hand. Okay, some people think that it was like all this trial that he had in ministry, like it didn't really go smoothly, so things, you know, in certain churches were kind of falling apart. Some people think it was that. Some people think it was like an eye problem. Like uh, in Galatians, Paul goes, see what large, no, Colossians, see what large letters I'm writing to you, because he had an eye problem. He couldn't really see what he was doing. He's like, look at me. I'm, I'm, you can even see all the problems in my face and my eyes. I actually heard this latest theory that just, I don't even know if I should share it with you, but that Paul was struggling with like sexual orientation. It almost was like blasphemous to think that, but, I, I, okay, we don't know what it is, okay? So it's wrong to actually say, I think it was SSA. You know, I, no, it's wrong to, it's wrong to go, because Paul doesn't tell you. But I, he goes, I tell you what it's like. It was like this thorn that was twisting in my side, okay? It was, it was really, really hard, it's really, really hard. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. Look, when he prays, God answers. Three times he did it. Three times I pleaded with this about the Lord, that it should leave me. But he said to me, can you read this part with me? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, Really? Really, let me ask you, are you, real, are you willing to embrace your weakness if that is the opportunity that God's power is made known in you? Are you really willing to even showcase that weakness? Because that's the platform from which God's power will be shown. Some of us have stuff in our lives, and we don't want to talk about it with too many people because we're ashamed of how they might think of us. But listen to Paul. He's going, look, no, no, that's the vehicle. That's the opportunity where God's going to be glorified. In fact, God's going to work on that so much so that people will look at that and go, oh, that's all God. It kind of makes you look at weakness differently, doesn't it? In fact, Paul went on to say, for the sake of Christ, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I, what? Okay, before, I'm like ashamed of weakness. I'm trying to hide from weakness. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You know what I do? I actually boast about my weakness. I'm like, look at how pathetic I am. Because you can't explain what's happening by how great I am. It must be God. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Whoa, that's a whole ministry that we have no idea. Well, you know, what happened to like, oh, you should really shine in your giftedness. Now it's like, what? You should really shine in your brokenness, your weakness, your smallness, so God's power can be made known. Well, I think that's what Paul is actually saying. Now, uh, this is the last bit of encouragement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flash some, some pictures in a second. Doug's going to flash some pictures. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a historical lesson, okay? It's a little Bible survey, if you want. But it's really meant to encourage you, for anyone who feels small, okay? Now, guess who this person is? Go ahead. Take a, take, just take a wild guess. Um, your grandfather? Um, okay, what is he holding in his hands? Oh, keys. So what do you think that is? Peter, right? That's Peter. 
Okay, who's Peter? Peter was like the, the, the first leader of the early church. Later on, it passed on to James. I don't know when that happened, but Peter was the first man. You can call him the pioneer. In fact, among the 12, it was always Peter who would speak first. He was the first among equals. Whenever you get a list of descriptions of the apostles, Peter always comes first. Peter. And, and you know why he has the keys? Because Jesus one day asked all his apostles, who do you think I am? And all the apostles were like, well, you know, these other people are saying this, but Peter was like, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. He was the first one to recognize it, first one to say it, and then Jesus turned to him and said, blessed are you. Blessed are you. I will build my church with those words, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And the gates of Hades will never prevail against that. Now, that's what was said to Peter, okay? It was all built on what he said, because Peter, was, it was, he was like the golden mouth, the man with like lips, uh, honey dripping from his lips, right? And when Pentecost came, he was the first one to speak. But it was those same mouth and those same lips that disowned his best friend at his greatest time of need. He was called to be a herald at the time of testing, at the time to actually say, I'm with him. Peter disowned Jesus. Three times. And then the last time he even said, look, I'm swearing to you that I don't know this guy. And make, he called curses down on himself if he was actually lying. That's Peter. He's the guy like, open your mouth and insert foot in mouth. He, that was Peter. Brokenness, small, flawed, but you know something? God loves to use small, ordinary, broken, foot-in-mouth people. Okay, how about this picture? I'll give five bucks to anyone who can tell me who this is. Doug knows, so he doesn't count. Take a guess. Good, I don't owe five bucks to anyone. Now look at the bigger picture. Now you're like, oh, who is this guy? Thomas, Thomas. Now, wouldn't you say that the apostles, like their big deal was faith? Wouldn't you say that's a pretty big deal for a person who believes in Jesus to have faith, right? What happened to this guy after Jesus resurrected from, from the grave, showed himself to the other 10 apostles? He wasn't there. And then later on, he catches up with the guys. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you know what happened? We saw him. And what did he say? Unless I take my finger and I put it in his hands and put it in his sides, I will not believe. That's from an apostle. Right? And then Jesus actually, uh, he, he, he showed himself to Thomas. Here, look, take your finger, put it in my side, put it, stop doubting and believe. Blessed, you have seen these things, but blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. That wasn't Thomas, by the way. That was like a backhanded rebuke. Now, I know, that I, because I'm saying this because there's some people here who struggle with faith. You're not, you're not like these stalwart faith, faith, you know, people. Yeah, there's a place for you among the 12. Be encouraged. You can struggle with faith and still follow Jesus. Okay, who's, who's the next guy? Paul. I just told you that one. That's Paul. I already told you about Paul. I want to talk about you guys. There are people here in this room who are disqualifying themselves. 
ultimately, it's, you don't believe in yourself. You're like, you're like I'm small, I'm ordinary. And I, I'm not saying God can use you despite that. I'm actually saying God can use you because of that. And he would actually prefer to use you. You know why? Because all the people will look at your life and they'll be like, oh my gosh, that wasn't Yan, that wasn't Warren, that wasn't Lily, that was all God. That's the kind of, that's the kind of parenting that he wants. Now, I have to be careful with this message. I'm wrapping up. I have to be careful with this message because I don't want anyone here to be like, you know, right, that's exactly it. I'm small, I'm weak, I'm flawed, and I'm addicted to porn, and I have no plans to stop, and God will still use me. Yeah, God will still use you, but there's no reason for you to continue to be addicted to porn or something like that. No reason at all. I mean, God forgiven you, When you receive Jesus, he forgave you for past, present, and future sins. It's all taken care of. But he also rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he gave you the power to overcome this sin. There's no reason for you to still be in this. No, I'm not saying you totally overcome. There will be moments where you get knocked down, but you will never be defeated. This sin will never really have you. Right? Right? Right. I love this quote from John Newton. He said, I am not the man I should be. And I am not the man that I will be. But praise God Almighty, I'm not the man that I used to be. Death is at work in you, but so is life. So is life. So you can showcase that death and say, look at the power of God in my life. God wants to use small, ordinary people. Stop disqualifying yourselves. Stop making excuses. Are you a parent? God wants to use you to disciple your kids. I'm not, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. God wants, because you, you haven't arrived, and you're not finished, God wants to use you. You're growing, you're not the person you were before, and in that place of being unfinished, wounded. God's going to use you to heal other people and help finish other people. Our next series is pretty big. We're talking about discipleship. It's called Multiply. We want parents to be actively discipling their their, their children. We want older people to be discipling younger people and younger people to be discipling people even younger than them. And I bet you once we roll out this series, there will be like so many people right out the gate who will disqualify themselves and go, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. Now, I'm saying there's no reason for you to plateau, but as you are growing, as you are unfinished, God will use you to finish other people. Don't make excuses. I'm small, I'm flawed, I'm messed up, I can't do it. God loves using ordinary and small people to do his amazing work. Now, I'll give you one last picture of this great mystery, okay? One last picture. There is a movement in the cosmos where the backbone of evil was broken. In an amazing triumph, angels were singing. Evil, the backbone of evil was broken. When did that happen? The moment that Jesus Christ spread his arms and he died on a cross. That was the moment. What? What I'm, what I'm telling you is that God's power was made perfect through the weakness even of his son. His son died on that cross. 
And the power of God was released. If that was true with the ministry of Jesus, where his ultimate triumph was evidenced in torture and execution, then I think it's kind of the paradigm for ministry for all of us. Think about your flaws differently. I'm too small. No, we think that. God loves to use small and ordinary people. Can we all stand? Lord, we want to humble ourselves and uh, we want to confess our flaws and our, our smallness and our ordinariness to you. Some people actually are not even aware of their flaws and other people are like, I got so many. I can't, I, I can't list them all on one page. I pray that you would give us a word of encouragement. Help us to, to enter into this world thinking, you know, it's actually my smallness that God's going to use for his glory. Help us to, um, to think like Paul uh, uh, thought when he said that God's power is made perfect in human weakness for the glory of God. Amen.